Today, let's ask the question, what does it mean to be saved? Today, I'm having a conversation with Matt Bays, and we're talking about this question of what does it mean to be saved? I keep saying, quote, unquote, saved, uh, because there's these terms that we use that probably aren't the best terms sometimes, or maybe aren't the most accurate to reflect scripture, but we use them a lot, and they're part of our everyday Christian lingo, and so uh, we use them for the sake of understanding, and so everybody knows what we're talking about, but we really get into this topic. So Matt shares a lot about his story and kind of this stage that he went through, not stage, but really just this journey over his life where he felt that he was following the gospel, but not really living it and coming to a point where he understood it more fully and decided to really devote his life to it. And so uh, we talk about that and his experiences and what he's gone through, but also really looking at what does it mean? What does it genuinely mean? What does salvation mean? What does the life after look like? Is the Bible all about becoming saved or receiving salvation? And, and what is that all about? So uh, great conversation. I think maybe there's places where we end up on different pages or we have different ideas about different things, but I think it's important to have a diversity of opinion and to get different perspectives. And so I think this is a valuable conversation kind of to add to all of our libraries of understanding and kind of seeing where people are coming from. And even if we disagree, that's okay. And I think on the major points here, we really do agree um, and that living a life enthusiastically for Jesus is important, but really genuinely living a life that reflects him and reflects his life and how he treated people and um, having faith, but also having a life that exemplifies those faith because without it, what is it really for? So I think those are the points that really matter and that's where we kind of land on the same page. So here we go. So I know that a lot of people that I grew up with would probably say at some point or another that they doubted their salvation or I remember being a camp counselor and having a lot of kids saying like, okay, I believed, I said the prayer, I did the thing, but I, I really, I'm not sure if I really believed or like I, you know, I believed the right thing or what if I really don't fully believe and that kind of thing. What having kind of like not really been through the process of doubting your salvation, but really to come to understand salvation and the gospel more fully, what would you say to those people, what kind of maybe advice would you give to someone if they're having those questions? Like, what if I'm not really saved? I want to believe, but I don't know. Uh, oh, hold on. I've got a verse for this, but, uh, um, so yeah, I think the biggest thing is, um, like the biggest test is like, if you like just looking at your life is like, are you actually living in a way that's reflective of what you actually believe? Um, like Paul says in second Corinthians 13, five, he says, um, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And uh, like you said, I feel like a lot of people grow up, yeah, they they say the prayer and they like they do the altar call or whatever, and they're like, okay, that's when I got saved. And then they leave camp and then nothing happens. And like they just go back go back to their normal life. And I think part of that, like you could lay some blame on a failure of these churches to establish follow-ups and to actually um set up like proper discipleship uh for these new believers but i i do think a, a lot of it is just sometimes people do get like worked into those emotional states where they're like oh i want to make a decision for god and then once they're out of that emotional state it just kind of fades away and i think that's kind of like when jesus talks about like the parable of the uh, sower and like he sows the seed and it goes into some seed and 
it springs up and then it quickly wilts because the soil wasn't good to begin with. And so I, I think I'm kind of rambling. What was your, what was your original question? Maybe what would you say? Cause I think sometimes we ask the, it's not necessarily asking the wrong question because I definitely recommend if you have questions about God or salvation, ask them because God yeah. is a trustworthy God and you can ask him things. And so is the Bible, you, you know, like you don't have to be afraid of questioning truth, but um, I think people maybe sometimes come to the table with the wrong question of like, how do I know if I'm really believing in, and we kind of make it more complicated. And I think sometimes we maybe, um, we maybe like add steps or kind of in this almost like legalistic way where we say it's not really that we're taking anything scriptural or we are maybe taking a scriptural idea but we're kind of manipulating it to be like okay well just to be sure say these words out loud and just to be sure say this prayer and those kinds of things when we're really taking you know like this belief in a free gift in, mm -hmm. into another we're, we're adding layers onto it that aren't necessary and maybe complicate the gospel so what would you say to kind of simplify that message to someone who's who's struggling like did i really say the prayer did i really believe well, I think, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to like true saving faith has action. Like, I mean, you see in Hebrews, like, uh, so Hebrews 11, like the hall of faith, like with, where he talks about like, um, Abraham, like he trusted God and was willing to sacrifice his son. And it even says in there that he knew that God would provide. He didn't know how God was going to provide, but he knew in that moment that more than likely he was not genuinely going to have to sacrifice his son or or no, he's, he said that uh, he supposed that God could bring him back from the dead. So he was, he trusted and had faith in God and that faith begat action. And I think that's the biggest question to ask yourself is it's because it, because a lot of times we get into that debate of like, oh, is it works to save you or is it faith that saves you? It's, it's clearly faith, but it's a faith that produces action. If, if you say, oh, I believe, but nothing in your life is changing to indicate that then that might call into question like is your faith genuine and that that might for those like people that are questioning that like uh like paul says in second corinthians to examine yourselves and see that your faith is genuine it's it's not it is as simple as just like salvation is as simple as just believe and you'll be saved but it has to be a belief that is worked out in the day-to-day -day. again it's not that the work save but genuine repentance and genuine belief will produce works and that's that was kind of the defining difference between before when i got saved and after too because like growing up i was like oh yeah i'm saved but if you took any kind of examination past the surface level of my life you'd be like nope there there is nothing here to indicate that he would be like a born again believer and and again i'm not saying that once you're saved it's a oh well now i'm perfect and now i do everything perfectly because none of us are perfect and we all we all suck and it, <laughs> it takes a while to um mature in your faith but if if you say that you believe and spiritually you're not seeing any sort of growth at all then maybe go back and examine that and see if that's genuinely like if you genuinely believe that. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying, but I see how it could be maybe confusing to someone because I think they could say, cause like, I mean, 
as I look back on my own life, like I, I fully understood, not fully understood, but I mean, I very well understood the gospel message at like age four. And that was something Mm -hmm. that was a part of my life growing up. And that's when I would say that I accepted the gospel. Um, and then, you know, like Carrie, I'm talking about like in high school where it's like, yeah, I have good works. Sure. But they're, they're not from a place of loving Jesus. They're not from like, it's totally surfacey, totally fake, totally mm-hmm. to get people to appreciate, uh, or like me or to, you know, find love in some place that's not in Jesus, those kinds of things. And so I think that might be, maybe could be confusing to someone to say like, okay, well, does then that mean like, if, you know, if I don't wake up the next morning and I just want to read my Bible, does that mean that I'm not saved? Or maybe like, if I, you know, don't feel like feeding the homeless today or, you know, does that mean that I'm not saved? And, and you could have those questions. And I think we have to maybe take into account that our nature is to choose, like it's in our, it's not easier for us, but we kind of tell ourselves that it's easier for us to choose good and evil for ourselves. And so I think that's kind of a nature that we revert to often. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like it's easier for us sometimes than to, to let God decide those things or to uh, like follow his instructions regarding, you know, how we do relationships, how we do interacting with loving our neighbor, how we do uh, families and those kind of things. And so I think it's sometimes it, it's natural for us to revert back to, um, to that like old nature. And it's kind of like this resubmitting to the Holy Spirit of God that now lives inside of us mm-hmm. that we kind of have to remember because you can quench the spirit. You can, you know, like, uh, you can be instinctually following like your fleshly desires over the spirit and where the spirit um, is leading you and enabling you to do good works. So I think I I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, if you're, if you have a week of time where you're just like, you know what, I, I don't care about the homeless. I don't want to feed them. That's obviously that doesn't mean that you're not saved, but like there should be a continual, like, even in the past year, like I've had a month or two where it's just been, I didn't really want to read the Bible. I didn't really want to, um, spend time with God. I was kind of dealing with my own struggles and I was like, you know what, I'll deal with it myself and was not really paying attention to God. But overall, like, and again, like you have to look at it more as like a big picture, not like a Oh, I lost you. Where did I cut off? Um, well, let's, we just had a, we might've just lost a whole conversation. So we're going to recap just in case. So we were talking about, you were sharing your thoughts kind of on like what, uh, almost like the mark of a Christian, kind of like, you know, if you're having questions about your faith, how do we know if I'm saved? Um, kind of what, what that would look like and what that means. So I'll let you kind of recap your thoughts there before we move on. Cause we might've just lost it. Lost it all. Oh, shoot. I got to recap everything. Um, so i would basically say um i mean you know jesus says like you'll know them by their fruits and so like uh, again to clarify like works isn't what saves us but a genuine faith will produce um will will show itself through actions and so um again not, that's not to say that like throughout the day to day that you're not going to mess up or anything because I mean, we all struggle with stuff. I'm still struggling with stuff, but, um, you should, if you like, if you look over a long period of time, you should see 
gradual marked improvement in your life. Um, and by improvement, I mean more um, spiritual maturity. And by that is, I mean, like living more in accordance with God's word and living more like Christ. And so I would say like to somebody who's like, oh, you know what? I, I prayed this prayer when I was six, but you know, I'm having doubts and you know, I don't really see any fruit in my life. Again, I'm not God, so I can't really say whether or not that person is or isn't saved, but if they are not living like as a habitual pattern, they're not living in accordance with scripture and they're not um, actively following after God and trying to know him more and falling in love with him more day after day. Again, I'm not saying that that person's not saved, but that might be a good time for that person to, you know, really examine themselves and be like, all right, what do I really believe? And okay, like maybe I am doing these good things, but why am I doing these good things? Like, is it for, like we talked about, is it for the approval of other people? Like I want to look good. I don't want people to think less of me, or is it, I'm doing this because I want to please God, you know, and at, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to is our love for love and knowledge of God increasing or is it not, I guess. Yeah. And my kind of pushback was, I think maybe a lot of people are thinking, well, first, like, we have to get out of this mindset of like, what is the prayer and what is the steps and what are the things? Because it's, it's you know, as we'll look through, because we're going to kind of look at in a minute here, like, what does it mean, this term that we use saved, which I don't even think is like the best term sometimes because we kind of make it a thing that it's not or it gets mm-hmm. confusing. Um, but like for for all intents and purposes, saved, like what is what does it mean to accept salvation? And it's this genuine belief in this relationship um, with Christ, but I think that we can overcomplicate it and say, well, you have to, you know, if you've said this prayer and you said it out loud and you did this, and then you can know for sure. Um, and maybe sometimes there's Christians who are maybe later in uh, their walk with Jesus. And I was kind of sharing my experience, like in high school and um, like what you were talking about, doing things for the sake of people liking me or to gain status with people. And, and uh, like we discussed earlier, and not doing it out of genuine love for Christ, not doing it out of a genuine desire to um, to help others, you know, in, in his name and those kinds of things. And so I think people can look at that and say, okay, well, I genuinely believed, but now I, I don't have a desire to do these good things. And I don't, um, maybe I'm reverting back to these old tendencies that I have, or I just really don't care about uh, like reading my Bible or don't really care about being a part of this small group or whatever. And then maybe question, does that mean that I'm not safe? So what would you say to that? Well, and like I said, I can't really speak, obviously I can't speak to anyone's experience besides my own of like, everyone kind of has to answer that question for themselves, but, um, so I think, can you restate that again? I literally just lost my, I Um, I added a lot of things to that question. What would you like my, the point that I'm trying to make is I think I would say I've been like a genuine believer in the gospel since like age four, but I had many times in my life for like years sometimes when uh, either, either like my life pattern was not after, like I was not pursuing a relationship where I was 
pursuing a relationship with Jesus where my life reflected that, um, where it was like very, the, the practices that I believed were not being applied to my life, or maybe there were seasons of like doubts or things like that. So what would you say to people who are in that situation where they're like, no, I genuinely believe this, but it's not, you know, maybe there's been large seasons, maybe like years or decades in people's lives where they would say, yeah, I, I maybe was prioritizing other things before relationship with Christ or where my life reflected that. Yeah. So again, I would say like, you can't really, I can't really say whether or not those people are saved. That's something they kind of have to examine and determine for themselves. But for like your example of maybe somebody who believes like genuinely that they're saved, but maybe they don't, they aren't living for God or they're not like, they don't have that desire. I would definitely say maybe that they need to find somebody who can help disciple them because I, and I do think that is probably one of the biggest problems with the church today in America is that a lot of times we go out and we try to like share the gospel with people and get people saved, but there's no follow-up. There's no discipleship and there's no like actually sitting down one-on-one with like people who are more mature in the faith and them coming alongside these younger Christians and, you know, just sharing life with them, whether that's like just going and getting coffee or, and just kind of being in their life and kind of imparting wisdom of like, you know, you're at this point in life and I've kind of been through that and I've experienced this and this is how God has helped me through that. And so I think a lot of times just having someone there to even kind of push us in that direction, like these people might, might be genuine believers, but they don't, they're kind of aimless. They don't really know what they need to be doing to pursue their walk with God. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I think, I like um, uh, I think they need to, they should, if they can find somebody who's more mature in the faith that they trust that they're close with and, you know, just ask like, Hey, can we meet once a week or however their schedule allows it? And just try to have someone kind of pour into them and share and just help, uh, help mature them and help grow them. Yeah. I like the term using the term disciple because it means learner. And I think mm-hmm. that that like becoming learners of each other, because there's people who are a lot smarter than myself, I can tell you at least, uh, who I need to be learning from and being, uh, like, you know, having maybe a mentorship, rela- mentorship relationship is really helpful and maybe becoming co-learners together ultimately of Christ and what that looks like, because that's kind of what the life journey is, is like becoming a learner of Jesus and mm-hmm. being a follower of him. And I think too, we kind of maybe add, we just add things to the gospel or the process or what it means to look like a Christian or the litmus test to if you're a real Christian that are just not scriptural and not helpful, I think for some people. And, mm-hmm. and to your point too, I think, like you're saying, yes, discipleship is a huge part, at least for me that I can look back on and say is that I think we have to not just say like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll meet for coffee or we'll have like a small group you can come to or a prayer group, but saying, okay, how are we going to like make this a community where you can be honest, you can be dead honest mm-hmm. and you're like, yep, I'm living a double life or, you know, what? I don't know if I really believe this. I'm not really sure. Or I never you know, like I'm, I'm constantly choosing myself over other people. I'm never choosing people. So what does that mean about my faith and being totally honest and not having a place where there's this hierarchy that you have to kind of work up. Um, but like 
genuine relationship where people can be brutally honest about those things, I think that would be a really big aid to people and, and their growth because as we're seeing, there's a lot of people who they've never been able to ask questions before. So now they're going through, call it what you want, deconstruction, whatever. And so I think a lot of people are asking questions and feeling like they either have to leave because the space that they're in is not accepting of that, not allowing them to like ask honest questions or say, say what they're honestly dealing with. Or maybe I know a lot of people that have really grown from that because they're finally able to say like, let me be really honest about this thing in scripture that bothers me or this thing about mm-hmm. myself that I can share, uh, just genuinely share with other Christians now. And, and I think that can either be a, like kind of a make or break thing for some people. Um, I definitely, I mean, we can be, be ultimately clear, which I think you were, but you know, when we read Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, like 8 through 10, we're saved by mm-hmm. faith, not by works. And the purpose yeah. of that is nobody can boast. It's not in us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And I think, um, like you've been saying, like, like James 2 says, faith without works is dead. But I think when we look at the whole chapter, like the whole chapter of James 2, it's like, you know, James is talking about like the homeless people or like the people that are without food, the people that are coming to um, these local churches. And they're saying like, yeah, I hope that, you know, they're, they're not really being genuine in their faith. They're like seeing these homeless people on the street and saying, oh, stay warm, buddy. Sorry, you're in such a bad position. Or come to the church, mm-hmm. but oh, you're kind of dirty. So why don't you sit in the back? Or you're really poor. Yeah, it's like, it's like the modern, like sending thoughts and prayers and then yeah. go about your day and do nothing about it. It's like, yeah. okay, where's where's your love for God and love for people there? Right. And, and we don't to really your point, want people like you to be like, we don't want people to know people like you come to our church. And I yeah. think as we look through that chapter, then we see, like, yeah, you have your faith, but the point isn't that, like, I don't think works works make or break your faith, or, like, it really shows that you're a real, true, good Christian if you do these things. I think it's, like, what is the point, maybe, of your faith if it's mm-hmm. just that you get, you know, this term that we're using, saved, or you save someone else, because the, the ministry of Jesus wasn't just sharing the message of the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. now and the ultimate, you know, reconciliation of people um, and the, the kingdom of heaven, heaven that's to come. But it was also caring for people's physical needs and caring for people's, uh, you know, being in relationship with them, making sure that they, you know, had like physical healing in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. So I think. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the life of Jesus and who did he spend time with? It was the tax collectors and the fair or not. Pharisees, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and stuff like that. It was like the people that, like, I mean, even in, in today's society is like those people that nobody would associate with, like the lowly, like the people who are maybe you might say like a little white trash or a little hood, you know, you'd be like, oh, don't, we don't want those people in our group because then other people are going to leave, you know? And I think honestly, for me, I'm just like, let those people leave, you know, if they, if they really have that big of an issue with it, then they're kind of those same people that James was talking about and going back uh, a step or two, kind of when you were talking about like with small groups and like being open, I, that is like one thing, like just in the past year that has really like become like a big issue for me personally, is just like being more open and honest, just like with my friends and like kind of expecting that from other people. Like I, I just hate like the, like when a lot of times like people go to church on Sunday, like, I mean, I even did this growing up. It's like, you go to church on Sunday and you put on a mask and you don't really, like, I got to look good. 
and none of us actually ever want to be open and honest with anyone. And like further on in James, he even says, uh, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I think that's one thing that we kind of have lost in the modern church is that we all, like you said, we all just want to portray a good image and like kind of be of a higher social, like Christian social status because like, oh, well, it looks like he does all the right stuff when deep down we could be dealing with all these different issues and struggles. And, you know, like you said, sometimes you just need that environment where you can just be brutally honest, like, hey, I'm really struggling with X or, or whatever. And um, by opening by kind of putting those struggles out in the open, it makes it easier for um, reconciliation or growth or change to happen. Because if you keep, if you keep that sin in the dark, then it's never going to, it's never going to uh, change. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what's the point of a Christian community if we all, A, mm -hmm. if we all show up and we lie to each other's faces so that we can pretend that we're good Christians or we like oh yeah I made I made the worship team or I'm the worship leader or I got this promotion in my ministry or whatever it is or people at church think I'm great but then we like walk by homeless and hungry people and we do nothing to help them and it's like well what is this for then like what is the purpose mm -hmm. then yeah and, at that point it just becomes a social club yeah and it not even it's not even real it's just like a purpose mm -hmm. and I think too we you know sometimes we kind of try to boil down the like the major points of this to be like oh well if you're a good christian who really loves jesus then you you know you'll really want to read your bible every day and you'll do it every single day and i think there is this love for scripture that comes from from genuinely understanding scripture i've done a lot of uh, like auditing classes and a lot of textbooks um from professors who read scripture but they read it from an anthropological standpoint or they're like hebrew scholars but not biblical hebrew scholars and it's really interesting because they have a totally different take on scripture and they see it from a totally objective point of view which is sometimes really helpful to understand it but there's this major part of it that they're missing and there's this love that they don't have for it but i think mm -hmm. to people who are saying like either a i don't read my bible every day or i don't want to read it every day i think that it doesn't mean that you're not you know, you're not a believer because you don't want to oh, yeah, I agree. kinds of things. And we can't like try to, or, you know, we try to make it a political alliance one way or the other, the left and the right both do it. Like if you're really a Christian, then you'll believe in this policy or this one. Mm -hmm. And we, we just try to make it something that it's not. And I'm, I'm definitely a big, huge believer in if there's something like a practice that you have or a practice, especially that you're advocating for other people to have, um, in your faith or in your faith community, then at least take an hour to research it. Like, look in the Bible, wh where is this coming from? Um, like, what are the verses that talk about it? What's the context of that? How does that fit into the context of, of all of scripture? Because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of Christians who say, oh, I'm doing Christian things. They have no idea why. Like, they would vehemently oppose you know, a lot, a lot of political ideas. I'm trying to think of one that's not super controversial, but you know, <laughs> what like, isn't anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe something about marriage or same-sex attraction. They would be, you know, they would tell you their loudly and enthusiastically proclaim why they agree or disagree with those points. But if you ask them, okay, 
like, show me, just open like a passage in scripture. And they'd be like, well, I don't know where, you know? Mm -hmm. And and to me, I think part of this genuine faith is saying, um, yeah, I believe this, but if I really believe this, if I genuinely believe that I'm a disciple of Jesus and he rose from the dead and this whole story of scripture points to him, then what does that mean for my life? Not just how do I apply the Bible to my life, but how do I actually live this thing? And part of that is really knowing your beliefs and where they came from and like mm-hmm. genuinely looking into them. And, and it's, it's something that like nobody will ever like accomplish, so to speak. Like you can't yeah. ever, you can't ever understand everything about this. And there's very intelligent Christians all around the world who are going to disagree on some, on some big points in this. And um, I think, like I said, that term disciple is so helpful because it's kind of being this lifelong learner. And, and of course we're learning from people, but ultimately we're all learning from Jesus and learning what it's like to be more like him and and Mm -hmm. genuinely like him, like genuinely how he treated people and, uh, and just paying attention to how all of scripture points to him. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like my thing too, is like, just in this past year, I've realized like how many kind of like mindsets or like things that I did that I was just doing because it was like, well, that's what a good Christian does is a good Christian reads his Bible every day. And if, if you boil it down to something like that, then yeah, it does make you feel guilty for, oh, I I didn't get a chance to read my Bible today. It's like, and a whole argument could be made about, you know, we're too busy in our lives today, but if you forget to read your Bible, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. It's just, all right, move on and read it the next day. It's not, it's not like a, you have to do this. Otherwise you don't love Jesus. Because I mean, there's, there's times like my mom will text me in the morning and I see it and I don't like, I'll be driving into work and I forget to respond to her. And then it's like three in the afternoon. It's like, Oh shoot, I forgot to respond to her. Does that mean I don't love her? No, but and it's kind of the same thing with scripture. It's like, if you forget to spend time in the word one day, is that it's not the end of the world, but kind of going back to that is like, is there a habit of, of that? Or is there, is there any kind of longing to get to know God and to um, understand his word? And I think that's motivated too. Like we have to remember that's also not even Mm -hmm. from the Holy spirit of God that lives inside of us when we, when we accept this free gospel message. And I think too, like when we look at Galatians five and the spirit versus the flesh and looking at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things that are, are a product of submitting to the Holy spirit of God and like producing good fruit from that. Um, you know, it's not like, like we just try to make it this system of like, well, I have to read my Bible so many days this week. And that means, you know, uh, the same thing, like you're saying that, that's not the fruit of the spirit. Of course, I'm advocating that you you read your Bible and being a disciple and uh, being a learner, that means that you're going to be like studying this and be in it, but it's also not out of obligation and like and being in a relationship with someone, then of course you love them and care about them and you want to get to know them more and know how to love them better. And so scripture is a huge part of that, but we're relegating things, I think sometimes to like, like you just said, like what are what are the marks of a good Christian? And we're not really looking at like, what are, what are the marks of the Holy spirit of God living inside of them? That scripture actually tells us like, let's get rid of all of these systems and things that we're creating that, you know, that really don't have a lot to do with this. And, and like you said, that's like being in the word is a huge part of 
understanding Christ because that's where we hear about him. That's how we understand him better. But it's just like, we really have to be careful what, especially we're telling other people is, you know, is the mark of a real Christian, so to speak. And that can get really tricky, especially, you know, we're kind of talking about the shared experience that we have of, um, of doing things out of the desire to gain people's approval or to get chosen for something um, in this Christian hierarchy, you know, all, all these systems that we've created and, and that's really hard to break away from. Yeah. And that, I, I kind of agree with that. Like um, while you were talking, it reminded me of uh, something. So like, as far as discipleship, I'm actually meeting with our young adults uh, leader. We're trying to do it every Saturday, but we've been kind of busy the last couple of weeks. Um, but last time we met, I basically kind of shared the same thing I kind of shared with you earlier is just kind of my life story. And like, this is where I'm at in my walk with God. And I just am really struggling with like, I feel like I just keep falling back into that like legalism mindset. And um, he basically boiled it down. Like he had me write this down. He said, focus on God's grace and mercy, not my success and failure. And I think the caveat to that obviously is it doesn't mean like, oh, well, I can just sin and not worry about it because, well, Jesus covered it because Paul talks very harshly about that. He says, like, shall we uh, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. Um, but it basically is just saying, like, we need to stop thinking about, am I a good Christian because I do X, Y, Z? It's, am I falling in love with God more and more daily? And that's, that should be the end goal. And the rest of the stuff will fall in line as we continue to understand God and know what he wants from us. And we fall more and more in love with him, that, that behavior and that action is going to follow. And so instead of getting so caught up on the, oh, well, I, I said a bad word this morning in traffic and I, you know, maybe looked at things I shouldn't have or. Uh, watched a movie, maybe I shouldn't have. And instead of getting hung up on all these little, like, oh, I did this right, but I did that wrong and focusing on the minutia, it should just be a, a continuous, just gradual growing in our understanding and our love for God. And I think a big part of that too, that we've touched on a couple of times is the Holy Spirit, because it's mm -hmm. like we see in, in Galatians 5 and all three Galatians, um, this idea that we can quench the spirit, like ultimately like extinguish the flame of the spirit is kind of like the mental picture that it paints for us, that we can either be submitting to this and be producing the works of, of what we desire, like our, our inclination, which is to serve ourselves, which is to, you know, uh, please ourselves, which is to like create a hierarchy where we're on top, or we can submit to the spirit, which is putting others before ourselves, just producing these good things. Um, and it's from the spirit that we do those things, which I think, like you're saying, we can't, we can't like pat ourselves on the back for our good works because it's not even from us. It's not even our mm -hmm. spirit or um, like the, the root of it is, isn't even from us. And I, it's just that, again, taking the priority off of ourselves and saying this, none of this is about us and, and serving other people and, um, and the way that Jesus taught us to live, not just the gospel message, but part of the gospel and, and this introduction of the kingdom of heaven to us and how we should live in that in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 is, is seeing that Jesus came to show us like the opposite of our nature and flipped everything on its head. And so it's instead of choosing ourselves, we're choosing other people. Instead of loving people who are like us, we love our neighbors, even if they're different from us and we love our enemies. And 
you know, it's not about these surfacey level things. It's about what's in your heart because what's in your heart produces either good or bad actions. And so you can look great on the outside, but you can be committing adultery in your heart. You can be, look like you're a great friend and be committing murder in your heart. And so, yeah, there's just, I think we just really have to go back and like take a lot of the excess that we've added to this and look at specifically the life of Jesus and of course his words, but just the way that he actually lived as an example, which seems so obvious to say, mm-hmm. especially when you've grown up with this lingo and this jargon for so long, but it's, it's something that we really don't do. And also just like actually reading your Bible This, I think probably the past two years, maybe three has been a, a super deep dive journey of like just genuine searching for genuine understanding of, uh, of my faith and of scripture. And I used to hate the old Testament. Like I just hated opening it and I hated, like, it would just be like, Oh, I don't want to read that. Why did you put that in there? Or even Jesus sometimes like his words, it would be like, Jesus, why didn't you make sure that the rich young ruler was saved? Like you just answered his question with another question and he just left. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? And I think especially the old Testament, like understanding it from a cultural perspective, immensely helped and a historical perspective but just seeing how there's so like man jewish literature ancient jewish literature is so rich and like there's so much depth to it and to see it from that perspective but also seeing how it points to jesus and understanding like just a portion of he was just this wild (laughs) person like so crazy for us to understand but I think confronting when you have questions and confronting if you don't know something like saying, well, why do I practice this if I don't know what it means? That has been like a really, uh, a really big part of, of just like genuinely seeking to actually live that then. Because you really can't live something if you don't understand it. If you're just doing it because everybody else does it, because that's what, that's what we do in our small group or that's what we do in our church, then there's really not a point to it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um yeah no i i pretty much agree with all of that i don't really have much else to add you pretty much nailed that it's a it's a i think scary for some people there's people i know people on on all sides of of um of the board who would be like they're against deconstruction or they're super for it or call it whatever you want deconstruction or like separating your your politics from your beliefs or your history or your family or whatever. But I think uh, when when you do that in a healthy community where you can um, where you can be honest like we were talking about and genuinely ask questions and not be afraid to, to find the answer, then I think it genuinely produces real results because people get really freaked out um, about asking questions sometimes or, I think, I think what's genuinely there, though, is people are freaked out that God isn't really going to be good when they start looking into, like, the crazy Levitical mm-hmm. law or when they start looking into, like, what did Jesus really mean when he said this? And it feels scary, but I think we can, we can trust that God is good and we can trust that he is kind and merciful and loving. And when we have that, we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to be afraid to let people ask those questions. And that translates back into what we were talking about, like, building communities where we can be honest. Otherwise, it's it's all for nothing. It's all for not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, as far as, like, the deconstruction, like, I'm, 
I don't really know a ton about it, so I'm kind of still iffy on it. But like from most examples I've seen, most of the times like people just use deconstruction as an excuse to walk away from the faith. But like, I I think there's a difference of people who like genuinely weren't saved and they're just like, well, I need to break down why I actually believe this, and then ultimately using that to justify walking away from the faith versus people who genuinely are like you know i love god and i want to seek after the truth and i want to understand like you know like why do i believe this why do i believe what i believe is like you said is some of these things that i do like these christiany things that i do is that is this actually biblical and i think if you, it, it depends on the the mindset you're coming into it from like cuz a lot of times people will say they might be hurt by the church or um go through some dark period of their life and then use basically use deconstruction as an as a means to justify walking away from the faith whereas if you're if you actually do have that mindset of just wanting to dig in deeper and understand god and his word more then yeah i agree you will if you are going in with just searching for truth then you will come away in a better place than you were before. Yeah, I have a lot of people that a lot of people that I know that would say they've gone through deconstruction in some form. Most people I know are still believers and they are much better for it. Like have gone through pretty much everyone I know who's undergone what they would call deconstruction would say, um, would say that they've had a background like you and I are saying that we've had. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's that's a perception that a lot of people have. And I can't, like, what do I know? I can't speak for on behalf of other people. But I would say most of the people that I know that have stepped away after that would, I, I don't know of anyone that would, like, have been using it as an excuse necessarily. I think people who are stepping away will be blatantly honest, like, I'm stepping away because of people or because I just don't, like, I can't get on the same page as this belief. Um, and it's not, like, people have have asked me like or have said you know on your deconstruction journey and I was like I feel like I did that like probably 10 years ago like I was saying when I was sitting in church like do I really believe this and I did it very mm -hmm. privately because I was afraid of people's responses and getting the boot um from people in my community but uh I think maybe a lot of people would would kind of be in the same phase that I'm in though and, and use those terms just to say let's really let's really understand what it is that we're following, which I think is a really great building tool. And I think too, mm -hmm. like if you, th that, that was my whole point of saying that was like, what I had said before was if you are worried that God isn't good, or you're worried that you need to step away from faith, because, which is kind of the main reason that you would do that, or that the, like what Christianity produces isn't good. Um, I, I think when you genuinely get back to the roots of scripture and God's intention for the church and God's intention for people and his intention for humanity, uh, then you're only going to find God's goodness there. And you have to have like the right community around you to help you, you know, healthy community, not even community, but like, you know, there's tons of really great resources. Um, of course, we want to look at scripture first and foremost, but like a lot of good biblical teachers who can lead you and help you understand some of those difficult things to understand, like the cultural context of this Levitical law. That's really, it, it feels really hard for me to understand and why would God say that? Um, so I think, I think it's a really good tool for people. It's just, again, like 
if people can't come to us to ask questions, if, if we're saying, you know, we have a strong faith and we're part of this, this body of Christ, this big C church all around the globe, and we want these good things for God's people, then for the church, then we have to actually like live that out and be those safe spaces. Because if people can't ask safe questions or unsafe questions in church, because we're not a safe community for them, then, you know, like, where do you expect them to go? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was pretty much going to say the same thing is like, cause if, if the church isn't going to provide an open forum for people to ask their questions or like maybe air grievances or, you know, like what is, what does God mean when he says this? Like, if we're not opening proper channels for Christians to have those dialogues, then where are they going to go? They're going to go to people outside the church. And do we really want someone who's struggling or questioning their faith to go to somebody who's not a Christian in order to explain that to them? You know, because more than likely that's not going to end well for them. So I, I think if, if, if we want people to be able to, have those questions and wrestle through them then it needs to be in a place that's safe in a place that um in a place where people actually know what scripture says and can kind of talk them through that and that also again i would kind of point that back to um uh discipleship and just making sure that people have that person who is a few steps ahead of them who can kind of help guide them through like you know and preferably somebody who's a little bit older as well who can be like you know what i've been right where you were like uh our my young adult leader who i'm meeting with like he pretty much has a, a very similar testimony to me and so like it's that for him it's actually kind of exciting because he's like you're right where i was at your age and so like it's it's cool to be able to kind of pour into you now when i didn't really have that and kind of be able to maybe help prevent me from making the same mistakes that he made along the way. And so, and I mean, that ultimately, I think that's the biggest issue with the church today is that there is a serious lack of discipleship. Like, I mean, yeah, there might be small handfuls of people doing it in different churches, and maybe there might be a few churches um, that really emphasize that. But as a whole, I feel like the American church. I can't really speak for other churches outside of our country because I haven't really been to any, but um, specifically in the American church, I think that is a huge problem that we face that it's like, I mean, Jesus says, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make converts. He said to go and make disciples. And that means we need to, in order to, like, I mean, and that also means in order, or in addition to being discipled, we also need to be discipling. And so that means there may they may like the person we're trying to disciple may have a question and we're like, you know what? I honestly don't have the answer to that, but that, that in and of itself will push us into the scriptures and help us uh, learn more about it and grow in our understanding of scripture in order to help that person. And so by being discipled and by discipling that allows us to have, uh, to be more, um, oh, what's the word? more well-versed in what scripture actually says. And by doing that, that will give us a greater understanding of scripture and therefore a growth in our walk with God. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, like, like you're saying, discipleship is a very big part of this because community is a very big part of this, of, of having 
having like a strong faith community where of course being honest and learning together and all of those things are really important and we need that because not just because it's the way that Jesus shows us and that like instructs us to to live but I think it's a really important piece of the puzzle when maybe we have questions or we don't we don't really understand um, maybe some biblical concepts or topics or we have questions about them or have bad feelings about them and I think too like like we were expressing that it's a good idea to go to people who love Jesus and who really, I think not just love Jesus, but really deeply understand scripture to help us when we have those questions. But I think too, it doesn't have to be like, cause I know some people are going to say like, well, that feels kind of culty. Like you can only talk to people inside. Yeah. Definitely not. I yeah, think no, that, I was saying that I was like, Oh, that sounds weird. But no, hopefully, no. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. I think that it's, it's, definitely helpful because if you want to understand how to love him better then you're going to go to people who really love him not to people who don't and also people who really understand scripture like i'm thinking of tim Mackey, or i'm thinking of nt wright or uh pressing sprinkle or these people who like really have dedicated their lives to understanding on a scholastic level scriptures and that's really important if we want to really understand these these hard to understand topics but also i think um like as i found you can go to people outside of scripture. You can hear what they have to say. You can, I just recorded a podcast that was called How How Can Christians Be Better Friends to Atheists? And my atheist friend and I had a conversation about it. And I think we have this in our mind, like if I hear one thing from an atheist, I'm going to become an atheist overnight and I'll backslide and all these crazy things. Well, yeah, yes. no. So like I was, I wasn't saying like never listen to people that aren't Christian. I was meaning more no, no, like, no. If you're trying to understand something specifically from scripture, then yes, you want to yes. hear from somebody who's actually, you know, studied it and actually knows what it's saying. But yeah, like, yeah, something like, yeah, how to be friends to an atheist. Yeah, you want to ask somebody, how can we, yeah, I agree. Oh, and, and to clarify, I wasn't like not riffing on, on your point. I think people will just pose those questions naturally and say like, well, what does that mean? I have to like stay in this group and I can't like, this isn't. This isn't like, you know, a, a, like a, I'm trying to think of a cult name that's not like also really prevalent, prevalent in my area, but um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people that feel like that. And I think you can go to those people and you can go to those sources and you can say, what do you think about this? And the point is that we have this Holy Spirit of God that we can submit to who will give us help. And like, there's, there's that man who comes to Jesus. Like, of course, I can't think of the chapter. Um, but he comes to Jesus and says, like, I don't believe, help me in my unbelief. Like, I want to have faith and I do have this faith. And I know that, you know, in some ways you're fulfilling this, this Messiah role, but I don't believe and I need you to heal my son and all these things that are happening. And Jesus helps that person. And we don't have Jesus here on earth with us, but he's given us the gift of the spirit. And so when we have those, those um, questions and we have those doubts and those thoughts, that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. I think we just, and, and it's okay to listen to people who are Jehovah's Witnesses and who are in a freaky weird cult in your area and who are, you know, who are part of all these different belief systems or they don't have a belief. It's okay to talk to them. It's okay to even get their perspective on something. But the point is that we're meditating on scripture and that we're coming back to scripture and we're submitting to the spirit of God. And we don't have to be afraid that we're just going to like believe whatever passes by in the wind because that's not how our brains work because we have, especially when we have the spirit, because uh, we have self-control. That's, that's a fruit of the spirit of God that lives inside of us. And so we have self-control. We have control of our minds and those things. So we don't have to be scared, but 
to your point, we do like, it would just be weird to ask like a, you know, like a chiropractor a question about dentistry, you know, like you just wouldn't do that. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense. They might have some insight on it or a perspective that's unique, but it would be way more helpful to ask the dentist a question about your tooth or whatever it is. That's a bad analogy, but you get what I'm saying. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of this balance that I've, that I've had, uh, in my own life. And, and maybe I'm not like the poster child for the best example of like how to even balance this, but, um, but being able to say like, yeah, let's have conversations. And even within the church, when we have like a safe place for conversations, of course, they're going to be physically safe. And of course, we want to say, you're not going to get kicked out for asking questions. You're not going to be like excommunicated. We're not going to not consider you for, you know, this, this role because you asked a genuine question about your faith. Um, hopefully, we're going to judge you for this role on like, you know, your maturity and how you're, you know, caring for others and you know, caring for people who are in need or whatever it be. But also, I, I hope that we don't create systems that are safe in the sense that we only talk to people who agree with us. We only hear ideas that agree with us and we don't let anybody contradict us. You know what I mean? Like, I, I hope that we have spaces that are safe in those senses, but also not safe to the point uh, or safe to the point where it's not good for us, like quote unquote safe, where it's like, yeah, we feel good about these things, but we do need a, a mix of opinions. And there are Christians who have different ideas than us. And let's discuss mm -hmm. these things openly and how, you know, be able to have like disagreements and things like that and talk about them. Yeah. So that's, that's a huge, I think a huge growth factor for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, you pretty much, yeah, hit the nail on the head there. I don't really pretty much agree with all of that. It's, it's interesting to see how um, people, like people that I grew up with, people that were in the same community that you and I were kind of like see how, how everybody's, you know, some people have stepped away from the faith and some people have um, maybe stepped into more like full-time ministry roles and and some people are maybe in the in a stage where um you know they're just trying to get their to know their faith more genuinely and it's really interesting to see those people how they're uh how they're really digging into like really getting to know their faith and also like how that how that ends up playing out in their life how that actually is applied to their life it's really yeah and, and, and encouraging a lot of times to see and uh kind of going back to your kind of like just being open and honest that was actually honestly, like when I shared that post about like, you know, kind of my genuine salvation, like that was very difficult for me because it was just like, well, well, I can just carry on and nobody will be not any the wiser. But at the same time, I was like, but what, like in, in doing so I'm robbing God of the glory, you know, like I'm, I'm making it more about me and like, oh, well, I don't want to, because that took a lot of humility for me to be like, I've had the gospel in front of my face for 25 years and I didn't get it, you know? And so that was, that was very humbling for me. But like, I was like, you know what, this is one, it's going to be more glorifying to God for me to be open and honest about this, but also it could also be a help to somebody who might be in the same situation as me, who, you know, maybe feels like they are, um, saved but maybe they genuinely aren't and maybe that might cause them to question themselves or I, I don't really know what the end result of that would be but I just 
kind of came to the conclusion that it was better for me to kind of air that and let people know instead of just hiding it. And because I was like, oh, well, I don't want to look dumb or I don't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing. Like I, I went to Bible college for three years. I got an entire associate's degree for biblical studies and wasn't even saved, you know? And so there was, there was a level of humility of just being like, you know what, this isn't about me. This is about God. And I want to give him the glory instead of myself and not not to pat myself on the back, but yeah. Yeah. Were were you afraid of any specific retaliation? Like what people were, I I wouldn't have even thought that that's really interesting to hear you say that. I wouldn't say retaliation, but more just kind of like maybe surprise or yeah, maybe judgment of just like, really? Like he's, you know, kind of like that. Like I said, it's like, I, I had the gospel in front of my face for 25 years and I, it took me that long to get it, even though, I said I understood it and then I was like, oh, I didn't actually, you know? Yeah. And so I didn't, because like for me, I'm very much like a, like a knowledge and competency driven person. And so for, for me to have to kind of step back and be like, you know what? I didn't know everything. I didn't like, I was, I was kind of an idiot here. I like, I didn't have all the answers and to just be honest about that was really difficult. But like you said, it's like, and bringing that to light, like the amount of comments that I got of just like, wow, that's awesome. Praise God, you know, and people were glorifying God because of that. And that was, that was such a relief to me because I, like I said, I was worried that people might look down on me, but instead everyone was just one, they were happy for me that I was saved now. And Two, they were glorifying God because of it. And ultimately, I think that that's the, the big picture there. Yeah, I think it's so much more meaningful when somebody is like real <laughs> about, about their mm-hmm. faith. And like, you know, especially if they if they didn't understand something or they said they ascribed to a belief and they didn't fully, fully recognize it yet or those kinds of things, that's way more meaningful. And I think really more impactful for people than when they see somebody who's like, faking it and I speak that as someone who has faked it of Mm -hmm. like uh you know I yeah I'm a great Christian and I got all these certificates and I do all these great things and I'm up on the hierarchy but I don't do anything to help people and I probably won't call you when you know when you're you're going through a really difficult time and uh you know it's there's all these people in my area who need help and I'm not doing anything to help them I think it's way more meaningful to see someone be be real even if in our own minds, we don't think it looks pretty and it's tied up in a nice bow. I think that's way more impactful than people who look good to other people and they have nothing for them to maybe judge them on uh, externally, but they, they're not living their faith in a genuine way. So I think that's, mm-hmm. that's impactful for people to hear. So closing up, we're going to just kind of, we've, we've thrown this term around saved and salvation and those kinds of things. So we're going to kind of look at what that is. Um, so I'm going to go through just a few, a few notes here and I'll let you kind of um, throw in your thoughts here and there as I go. But typically, like I said, I don't, I don't know what I, I feel like saved isn't always the best term just because we've, it kind of like loses its meaning sometimes, some of this Christian jargon. But uh, typically we use it in a Christian context when someone's accepted this free gift of salvation. So the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus died and atoned for our sins. And so um, it's accepting that free gift that he gives us to be reconciled to God and uh, eternally be reconciled to God. So 
in the beginning of the of scripture in Genesis, we see that God made this good world. He created unique creatures. He created humans who were made in his image to co-create with him, to create communities with him, to the ability to create life and to care for this world that he made. And people chose to discern good from evil on their own, apart from God. And so because of that decision, they brought evil into the world. And so this story that we see that we've been talking about is we see God continually pursuing people and making a way for people to be reconciled to God. So instead of getting rid of humanity to get rid of evil that they brought into the world, God made a plan to defeat evil and to bring people back to him. And so we see that through Jesus and we see God making a way for people to be in relationship with him over and over and over, despite their sin, despite their, um, the breaking of his laws and his covenant that he's made with them. And we see God continually pursue people. And of course we see like in the prophetic books, we see a glimpse of God not allowing specific evil to be done or only going on for so long, even when it comes to his people, the people of Israel, when there's oppression of the poor and the vulnerable, when, uh, when the people of Israel were rebelling against God and hurting other people, then we see God having these many like days of the Lord, so to speak, these uh, kind of reconciliations where he doesn't allow that to happen. But ultimately his goal and his desire is to reconcile people back to him. And so we see God intervening, but ultimately he's making a way for, despite people's own evil, for them to have a relationship with him. And then pointing, uh, we see in the revelation, we see this ultimate day of the Lord that happens where God defeats sin and evil once and for all. And there's this ultimate reconciliation. And so I think even, even seeing that for myself, like I, if you would have asked me like three years ago, plus I would not have described scripture that way at all. And I think, um, a lot of this, a lot of what's helped me is like John Collins and Tim Mackey and the Bible project has like really helped me the in-depth look of scripture. Um, I mentioned some of the other people, I always talk about Preston Sprinkle, but he's a theologian that's really helped. There's, there's so many, uh, people who really know scripture that have, have really helped me understand that better. Is there anybody for you that you would say has really like specific teachers that you, or books or people that you would recommend that have really encouraged your walk or understanding that more fully? Um, honestly, like I've kind of like in this past year, I've still been kind of getting my bearings, but like mostly it's just been, uh, reading scripture. And then I was, uh, going through, Oh, who's it by? It's called New Morning Mercies. It's by, I want to say it's David Platt, but that was kind of what my devotions involved was just reading like a chapter or two out of scripture and then reading that devotional. And um, I actually just finished up with that book. So I'm starting a new one. I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but yeah, I'm kind of still in that phase. And I am like, I am actively looking for um, other sources to continue to grow. But right now I've just been just kind of been doing that. There's a book that I will plug one million times and uh, it's called God Behaving Badly by David T. Lamb. And he also wrote a book called Prostitutes and Polygamists or Polygamists and Prostitutes. I always say it backwards. Recommended it probably every episode of this podcast, but it's so good for those like really difficult questions. Um, what was the second one? Prostitutes and what? And Polygamists by David T. Lamb as well. Okay. Uh, that has been like for the like really difficult parts of scripture that has been 
so, so helpful. Someone recommended, and I think I have the book and I just haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, also, is God a Moral Monster? If you're kind of on that track of like, how do I deal with all these really difficult things? And I hate reading the Old Testament for this reason. Um, those have been like super helpful. And also the Epic of Eden by Sandra, Dr. Sandra Richter. That was like, uh, in, in this whole, like what, what I was uh, just touching on, that has just been like so eye-opening. But I think for me, as I'm digging deeper, my my goal has been try to read as many diverse commentaries as I can and try to read as many like diverse, a diverse selection of Christian books. And of course, there's like main points that I care about if the author um, agrees on, like if they believe scripture and, you know, the gospel message and those things. But there's a lot of diversity and opinion, which I think has been uh, has been really helpful because it's like, you know, sometimes you leave a tradition and you're tempted to kind of jump into the next one that just sounds the best. And I think for me, it's been helpful to say, I don't want to just read this book and believe it just because this guy makes a, a great point. I want to like really do my research and see what, what reflects scripture, the, you know, the most close and, and those kinds of things. So that's been helpful. Mm -hmm. Digging into a pool of a lot of opinions. Are there any like podcasts or anything like that that you have listened to that have helped? I'm not a podcast person, really. <laughs> I am like podcast all day, like every day. Yeah, I normally like if I'm driving or whatever, I'm listening to music, not podcasts. Because yeah. like in the morning, I'm just sleepy and I just need something loud and obnoxious to keep me up. That's fair. That's very fair. So, and no offense, not being a oh, podcast person. But. That's okay. <laughs> that is all right. No offense here. Um, I'll keep moving through these notes as we kind of close up here, but I think um, one of the most meaningful things for me to understand as far as, as the gospel message goes and like really just empowers me, I think, to, by God's strength, of course, but really like enables me and encourages me to want to like live a genuine faith is seeing this whole theme through scripture of like purities and impurities and if you grew up in evangelical culture you would be like well purity is about sex and that's all, pretty much all it's about and that's really not what we see in scripture of course like sexual morality is a part of that but there's this whole story that we're missing and so um i there's this bible project video called holiness which is like it, it sums it up in a really small nutshell but it touches on a lot of these uh, themes and elements that we see like God made a way for people to be cleansed of ritual I've impurity. I've seen that. Have yeah, I think I've seen that. The art is also beautiful. I really want to get mm -hmm. a coffee table book. Uh, but we see this idea that God made ways for people to be cleansed of, it, it was like cultural um, ritual impurities and also moral impurities. And so he created this law and this system that is very specific to an ancient culture that's very difficult for us to understand and use a lot of these cultural and social standards and cultural norms to create rituals for people to follow. So ritual impurity was like, you touch blood, you touch dead people, people with leprosy, and you don't enter into God's presence. And then there's moral impurity where it's like, you know, sin, you sin against your neighbor, you steal, you lie. And also, again, you don't enter the temple. Uh, in that state. And so he created these ways to be cleansed of those things. So I'll, even though it's not a sin to touch someone with leprosy, you undergo a process to become clean again, ritually, to enter the temple. And, you know, there's like health implications, there's safety implications to that. But there's a lot of really big uh, social and cultural symbols to show us God is holy and clean. And so you don't come to him 
um, in this state that's unclean. And uh, I think that's hard for us to understand, especially in like this new covenant that we have with Jesus. And that's not something that um, we're concerned about in the same way. But I think it's really important to, for us to understand this. And also the moral purity side of it, where God created the sacrificial system. So an innocent animal could be slaughtered on behalf of a sinful person and, uh, and taking, taking the place of that person to kind of uh, symbolically atone for their, their sin. So that, again, they could enter into the temple with God. And so in Jesus, we see the fulfillment of the law and we see this whole new way to live that he shows us through his life and through his words. And so while we're no, no longer under that law, like we don't have to follow the law, he came to fulfill it. It's not for nothing. And uh, instead of becoming impure, like instead of Jesus becoming impure, when we touch him, we become pure when we touch him. That That's um, in that holiness video is they do like a really good job of illustrating that and showing that. But Jesus didn't become impure when he touched lepers. I mean, when he touched the, the dead that he was raising and we touched the bleeding woman, he, he didn't like transfer to him. His purity transferred to them. And I think we see that in the gospel message that, um, and when we have those fears that I'm not good enough for God to love, or we think my achievements are good enough to make me saved, to, to give me salvation, and it's all about me making my way to heaven, we, we see the opposite of that in the gospel, where it mm -hmm. has nothing to do with us. It's Jesus transferring his purity, his righteousness, in a sense, to us so that we can be in, in God's presence, um, ultimately, in this life after death, life after life after death, N.T. Wright says, and it's this really beautiful picture that I think that we miss out a lot on. And again, it's, it's like, stop making it about ourselves over and over. And, and also this beautiful picture we see when we take into account all of, of scripture. But that's uh, kind of like a newer way I think I've looked at this whole, the whole process and the whole story of scripture. Yeah, and that, I mean, pretty much everything you said kind of comes back to uh, what my... Uh, youth leader also said just that focus on God's grace and mercy, not my success and failures, because by doing that, we're taking that mindset shift off of like, whether of like, oh, how good I'm being for God or how terrible I've been. We're taking that shift off of ourselves and placing it back where it should be. And that should be on God and just being like, yes, I sinned. And yes, I've made mistakes, but God's grace is greater than that. Or I'm doing all these great things for God, but again, that's not from me, that's from God. And ultimately, like you said, whether it's good or bad, it always goes back to God and God gets the glory. Yeah. Um, before I go to the next point, I'm going to, if you want to look at more verses about, you know, if you're looking into the free gift of salvation, is it free, is it works, is it whatever, uh, this is just like a handful, but you can look at John 3, this is chapter 3, chapter 4. John 5, 24, 10, 28, Romans 5, 17 through 21, 6, 22 through 24, Ephesians 28, oh, it's supposed to say 2, 8 through 10, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, John 15, 12 through 13, um, again, handful of like uh, hundreds and hundreds of verses, but um, good place to start. And so I think uh, we'll kind of close on this question, which is, does being saved uh, mean you go to heaven when you die? Which is an interesting question because 
there's actually, when the first time I heard this, I was like, shut the front door. You're kidding me. There's no verse in scripture that says when you die, you're going to go to heaven if you believe. And so uh, it's, there's a lot of things that play into this where we've kind of gotten this idea of heaven. There's a lot of art, uh, specifically like medieval art. There's a lot of uh, specifically American culture as well that's kind of added and adapted kind of like these ideas of heaven and um, a lot of this we've just kind of run with. I remember being a, a counselor at camp which I feel like I was way too young, <laughs> way too mature <laughs> to be doing but I remember talking as counselors and we would just kind of like riff off of each other of like what heaven was and even some elements of salvation but really like you know, what the afterlife was like. And none of us had a Bible open. And if we did, it would be to like take one verse out of context. But I think that happens a lot where we kind of make being saved about this like magical sky kingdom. And we actually don't have any of that in scripture. We do have things about this life after and this new resurrection, um, the new creation, excuse me, but we don't really have a lot of that. So we know that when we die because of Jesus's words himself, we know in some capacity believers in the gospel are going to be with Jesus after death and it's but it's looking forward so it's kind of like this intermediate state where we're looking forward to the final judgment to the new creation and which we see in revelation um you can also look at matthew 25 31 to 46 john 5 24 through 30 john 6 40 6 54 11 23 through 27 revelation 20 um also luke 23 43 where jesus is talking to the thief on the cross he says you're going to be with me in paradise today uh, which is interesting because it's the Greek word garden and it kind of paints us that picture of like the good creation God had where the perfect place for God to meet with people is a garden. Um, so we know in some capacity we'll be with Jesus if that's a message that we accept and um, we, we choose to follow, but we really don't have a lot of pictures, especially of what that like kind of intermediate stage is like. Mm-hmm. And then we see the, the prophets, um, and well, specifically Isaiah and uh, the Apostle Paul refer to kind of this uh, this state after death. Isaiah sixty five, Acts twenty four, verse twenty four, First Corinthians fifteen, uh, which is chapter fifteen. Second Corinthians chapter five, Hebrews nine, and we have this weird conversation, interesting conversation in the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus had a discussion with the Sadducees. So they specifically didn't believe in the resurrection after death. And they're asking about marriage and like, well, what if this woman marries a guy and then he dies and she marries another man? Then who's, you know, and they go on and on and she has seven husbands and who's going to be her husband in the resurrection? They're trying to trap him. um, And Jesus has a really interesting (laughs) conversation with them and basically says, you're asking the wrong questions. And God is a God of the living. Basically, like there there is life after this. And uh, and there's this whole interesting conversation you can have about like, what does it mean to have a soul and being an embodied soul and and a lot of questions about that but you can look at Matthew 22 23 through 33 Mark 12 18 through 27 and Luke 20 27 through 40 to look at that more but um I'll, I'll let you throw your thoughts in here in uh, a second after we cover these last few points but ultimately we know that we can look forward to being resurrected in new bodies in a new creation God makes all things new and we see that in Revelation 21 um and there's a lot of debates that we, we won't touch on today, but there's a lot of questions that you can ask on this. And I, again, recommend looking at kind of a variety of commentaries and looking to people that can help you understand this more fully. But uh, there's this debate a lot of people have on Luke 16, 19 through 31, which is 
the rich man and Lazarus. Some people say it's a parable. Some people say it's narrative. So there's kind of, de of a debate of like, is this a picture of heaven? Is this a picture of hell? This intermediate state that we're looking at before the resurrection, what does that look like? Um, I recommend just doing a word search, like go to Bible Gateway or Blue Letter Bible or U version or whatever you use and search heaven and look at the results because a lot of times it doesn't come up with anything about the afterlife um, and just see what it says. Cause normally it's, we're looking at the kingdom of heaven that Jesus says, or, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is near and, you know, we see that his upside down kingdom or our selfish desires are put last and we become, you know, we put ourselves at the bottom, the least of these become the first, we care for the vulnerable, the hurting and all of that. So I think if you really want to look at it, you can look at resurrection, search resurrection and see what it says. You can look at some hot topic debates on like um, eternal conscious torment versus annihilationism to see kind of, uh, you know, if you choose not to follow Jesus, if you choose not to accept this, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of research that you can do if that's a topic that interests you, but really there's just not a lot that that we uh, can point to, honestly. Like we, we really don't have a lot of the definitives and um, a lot of the details, but I think that's kind of a theme that we see a lot in scripture. We don't have the details that we would prefer we have, but we have the details that are important for us to know. And mm -hmm. so um, we know that we're looking forward to this new creation that's good and wonderful where we see, um, we see all things made new, death and evil are defeated, chaos is eliminated, God is the source of like life and energy for people, and people are reunited with God. It's not cloud city, but it's this new world that we can look forward to. So, um, yeah, and I mean, pretty, yeah, like you said, pretty much the only, only real description of like heaven that we get is, uh, in Revelation, it's, oh, is it 19 or 20? I know it's one of the, like, last chapters where it talks about, like, the New Jerusalem and kind of, like, gives its size. But, like, beyond that, there's really not, like, we know there's a new heaven, we know there's a new earth, and that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, chapter 20. So, yeah, it's, uh, again, it's, like, we, <laughs> one of those things we wish we could, I think it makes us more comfortable when we can, like, nail it down and say this is when it's happening and this is what it's going to be like, but, uh, we can point to scripture to see that we can trust God and we can, we can trust that this is going to be a good thing and a good, um, you know, a new creation that we're looking to. So, uh, yeah. So if that's something that interests you, look it up. I always like to say at the, at some point in the podcast, like the point of this is not to listen to us and say, yep, that's what I believe, or those are the thoughts that I associate with, or, um, you know, I've, I listen to this person just because I like what they say, but to really dig into scripture and take time to understand what you believe. And uh, if you believe nothing that either of us say, then that's totally fine. Read your Bible, um, ask questions, and really search deeply for the answer there. So I think that's all that I have. Is there anything, any closing thoughts or anything you have to, to add before we go? No, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. Um, like, I, I'm just reminded of, uh, was it the Bereans? Uh, when Paul went to them and he kind of preached the gospel to them, like scripture says that like they, they listened, but then afterwards they went and studied the scriptures for themselves. And I mean, at the time they didn't have the new Testament. So they went back and studied uh, the old Testament just to make sure what Paul was saying was correct. And I think that's, I mean, that's a good practice for any of us to have is just make sure like, yeah, listen to a variety of people, but always come back to scripture and interpret everything that people teach through that filter. 
Yeah. And I think too, becoming a disciple, it doesn't mean that we're making disciples. It doesn't mean that we make people look like us or fit a certain form or look a certain way, or, you know, mm-hmm. even, even live exactly the same way or practice, you know, discipleship or uh, living for Christ the same way. It's that we, we model people after Jesus. And so that looks different and there's a huge diversity in that. And so I think that's something to remember. So Thank you so much for, for taking the time to yeah. kind of share your story and, and have a little conversation about this. And um, is there any any place that you, I don't think your Instagram's public. Do you have a public Instagram? Uh, no. I normally yeah, I pretty much, I'm pretty much off off socials. Okay. <laughs> I don't have so. a place for people to like plug whatever they have going, but, but um, follow Matt because it's private. I mean, I've got a SoundCloud. That's pretty much it. So. Okay, there you go. Uh, it's just yeah it's just uh bay 35 b-a-y 35 it's just my last name just with numbers because that's cool sweet so (laughs) awesome all right thanks matt all right thanks